0: Palestinian enough because he he's not suffer he he don't suffer he doesn't suffer so imagine you know even if you are in the diaspora you ha, you are suffering you you are suffering from being a Palestinian and uh, we are just brave enough to uh, stay alive and have and uh, like uh, continue telling our stories from generation to generation and uh, we are still Palestinian and we yeah. yeah. what you just heard were poetry readings from Maya Abul Hayat's book You Can Be the Last Leaf followed by a discussion and some questions and answers that occurred on October 19th 2022 at an event organized and hosted by the Arab American Educational Foundation Center for Arab Studies at the University of Houston by the way I have a link on our website arabvoices.net to Maya's book you can be the last leaf. And that does it for the show today. Thanks for listening. This is Saeed, executive producer and host of Arab Voices. Until we meet next week, peace on earth. (laughs)
1: Listening to KBOO Portland. KBOO Community Radio holds open meetings concerning the operations and programming of KBOO in accordance with the requirements of the Communications Act of 1934 and certification requirements of the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Information about KBOO Community Radio's open meeting policy is available at our website at KBOO.FM. Due to the temporary closure of in-station activity at KBOO, meetings will be conducted online via public video conferencing unless otherwise noted. A public link and phone number to attend the meetings are available on our website. The Engineering Committee meets on the first Thursday of the month at 7 p.m. Please visit our website at kboo.fm to verify if a
0: meeting is... You're listening to KBOO Portland. The following program is a rebroadcast. For all of KBOO's archived audio, please visit our website at kboo.fm.
1: The more compassion we have towards animals, the more compassion we're
0: going to have towards
1: other people. If you can value them all, you, you really value yourself as well.
0: So Even if you don't care about animals... The, the things we do that hurt animals end up hurting ourselves.
1: It's almost kind of a dominion type issue where we feel we need to control everything. Dominion means stewardship to take
0: care of. What would a cow think about satisfying our habit? The challenge lies with looking at suffering from the perspective of the person or individual suffering. Today, we welcome Matt Roselle to Voices for the Animals with your host, Courtney Scott. Matt Roselle has a long history as an animal activist, starting with undercover work for factory farm and fur-bearing animals, then as a lab tech at Oregon National Primate Research Center, his undercover video exposed the harsh reality of life for lab monkeys later he was northwest director in defense of animals where among his many causes he advocated for the elephants at the Oregon Zoo and then he moved on to animal defenders international which helps to rescue wild animals including lions from circuses in Bolivia and at present He is working for the Beagle Freedom Project. Welcome, Matt. Hey, thanks for having me. Oh, we're so glad you could make it today. So, you know, you've gone through a lot in your career. It's amazing the variety of uh, jobs you've had working for animals. It's just amazing diversity there.
1: Well, it's been a real privilege, and uh, especially I feel like the work undercover has been a privilege to be able to actually really see what's happening behind the scenes and meet these individuals and be able to tell their stories and hopefully uh, use those stories and and them as ambassadors to help make changes for the ones that uh, are still suffering.
0: Yes, I think the undercover work is definitely probably the most crucial part a lot of times for people to really understand as it was for me when I saw your video of the primates at the Oregon National Primate Center. I didn't know until I saw that video. So I think it's really opening a lot of people's eyes. So tell us now, now you're working for the Beagle Freedom Project. What is your position there? And tell us more about the Beagle Freedom Project.
1: Yeah, well, I'm really excited to be Beagle Freedom Project's uh, Campaign and Policy Director. And the Beagle Freedom Project, we're based here out of the Los Angeles area, but we're rescuing animals from research across the country and also working towards the day where no animals will be locked away in uh, labs and being used for invasive experiments uh... beagle freedom project started uh, almost exactly seven years ago december twenty-third of two thousand ten uh... shannon keith who is the the founder and president of the organization she um, was able to organize a rescue of two beagles from a medical testing lab and these two beagles were so scared and it took about twenty minutes for them to even get out of the cages they had never known a life outside of cages had never known love felt fresh air seen the open sky had never walked on grass and then within minutes after they finally had the courage to come out of those crates they were running around and playing and it was the most heartwarming scene and since then Beagle Freedom Project has been able to rescue hundreds of of animals, uh, not just beagles, but other animals, goats, rabbits, mice, rats, cats, and horses, um, and found them homes and uh, given them a life after labs. And I think at, on that first day seven years ago, um, Shannon made a decision. She realized that a lot of people just have no idea what's going on in labs, that they don't even know that dogs and cats, monkeys, and other animals are locked away. Um, in these places being tested on and killed for things as meaningless as trying to purporting to study illicit drugs or just being used to be tested on for cosmetics or or products. And so she has made it her life mission and I'm helping her and and all the other great, wonderful people we're working with here and all the volunteers here at Beagle Freedom Project are working on that mission.
0: Wow, that's a really big mission. So, I noticed on the Beagle Freedom website, it says there are 383 labs in the U.S. that use nearly 70,000 dogs every year, of which 96% are beagles. That That's yeah. an incredible number. Why do you think there's so many of them are beagles?
1: Well, it's unfortunate for them that their docile, friendly, forgiving nature is the exact reason why they're both you know, the fifth most popular dog for people to have in their homes, and the number one most popular dog for research animals. They, you know, no matter what you do to them, they um, are forgiving and um, and and don't resist and don't bite and uh, and it's uh, and it's why they're used and also just their size. They're a smaller breed of dog that fits well in a cage. A lot, as you know. A lot of animal research is really about the money, and it's about efficiency, and they're run like uh, an assembly line, is what I experience inside of the research labs. These labs are are really about making money and about continuing, um, a, you know, a type of research that there are so many vested interests from the pharmaceutical companies to the researchers themselves and all the companies that that uh, supply the products and cages and everything and the animals for testing all have an interest in keeping this going and and the beagles happen to to fit in that formula well because they're a small-sized dog it's easier to keep them than some other yeah
0: i i that makes sense and you know i had a beagle when i was a kid and she was very docile and sweet, though she was an escape artist. I have to mention that. Yeah. Um, they
1: do follow their nose. Right? <laughs> she I, really... I had a beagle in my life for a while, too, and we had to, his name was Buddy. We had to buddy-proof the fence many, <laughs> yeah. many times.
0: Uh, Amazing how they figure ways out,
1: though, isn't it? Well, in fact, all of the rescues that we work with, the beagles that we, with, that we rescue, we uh, equip them with a GPS collar because... Uh. Um, yeah. for that exact reason. We don't want to lose track of these precious animals, so yeah. we make sure that we can keep track of them.
0: <laughs> That's funny. That's one of their traits, I guess. Um, so I was, that means they're, they're breeding these animals too, right? They're, they're not just getting them from, like, pet stores and shelters. They actually breed them. Is that correct?
1: Right. And uh, the number one supplier of beagles, ferrets, and other animals in the U.S. is a company uh, called Marshall Bioresources and um, mm. also previously known as Marshall Farms in New York. And, yeah, to the tune of, of you know, hundreds of thousands of animals a year, um, they're operating, you know, very much like you would think of um, like a puppy mill. You know, just mm, yeah. they have uh, massive barns after barn after barn of animals being raised in cages and just uh, cranking out puppies and other animals to be sold.
0: Right, for research, yeah.
1: To be used in research.
0: And what happens to the ones that don't get, you know, whatever? They don't make it to some place. They euthanize quite a number of them, I imagine.
1: Well, the, the unfortunate thing about animals used in research is that at the end of the experiment, the animal almost Always is killed, Aww. and and this is true whether or not the animals are healthy or adoptable, or whether they um, you know need to use them or they purport to need to use them and and euthanize them for the experiment. And that is um, you know because of that, one of our projects um, that w- that we've been working on is legislation called the Beagle Freedom Bill, and this is a, a compassionate a uh, very common sense, bipartisan, simple bill that is just pointing out this need in, in the law, that uh, this void in the law that, you know, there's, there's various rules and, and federal regulations that these labs do have to follow to a certain extent, S- certainly not strong enough laws, but there are laws in place that um, are put in place to protect these animals right up until the end of the experiment but there's nothing that um, in the law that says anything about what happens to them once the experiment is over hmm. and so this bill is filling that void and is simply saying um, if the animal is adoptable if it's healthy then you need to find a suitable rescue or shelter to offer that animal for adoption and we're talking specifically in these in this bill about dogs and cats, and it has now passed in six states, and we have uh, close to a dozen other states that have either introduced it or are actively working on passing the bill and discussing the bill right now, and, you know, this is a very middle ground, sort of common ground type of law that doesn't really do anything to affect the research in any way, but it it's at a place where everyone should agree, you know, right. these animals deserve to have a life after labs, if at all possible.
0: Right. Well, I imagine it will affect their research. I mean, that's not the goal, perhaps, but it's going to be making it a lot more cumbersome for them to have so many animals if they have to find homes for them, wouldn't you think?
1: Well, so basically what the bill does is it doesn't um, cost anything to the labs, and in fact it takes the burden of Oh, finding the homes off of them. Oh, I so see. Where where there are some universities and, and labs that may already have some kind of a policy in place for adopting out animals and, you know, what we find is that usually it's just um, a few animals here and there and they usually are just animals that get adopted out to friends and family I of see. people working in the lab. Um, what this does is it takes the burden off the lab and puts it on the shoulders of the professional rescue community mm. that's very well-versed in, you know, handling situations where these dogs do have some re- rehabilitation issues, you know, they're, they're not potty trained, That they've never been on a couch, they've, you know, they don't know, it's, it's basically no matter what age these dogs are, they're um, puppies uh, mentally in terms of like the training that needs to to go into
0: them to make sure. them sure. Well, it sounds like a win win situation. Then that we should get support from the research facilities. It sounds like. Yeah, exactly. And you know, the,
1: the there has been pushback. The universities do often come in and and try to make arguments against the bill. But at the end of the day, uh, since 2014, this bill has passed in six states, and there has been we've heard nothing but positive things. Oh, There's that's no, great no bad fallout all the the fears that some of these universities have about repercussions just have not amounted to anything and and so it is a a win-win and and we're really going to continue to push this bill because we want to see every possible animal come out of those labs and and find a happy home
0: well i hope a lot of them can come out of uh, oregon national primate research center so i know they also use beagles there right
1: Yes, there are dogs and cats that are used mm-hmm. at uh, OHSU. So let's hope
0: this moves on to Oregon. I'm sure you have something in the works. All well, right. maybe we can work with you on it. <laughs> yeah. I, I put my I haven't foot in that one. About, uh, <laughs> about Oregon, but it's certainly a possibility. I think it it's, would be a very good place because supposedly, at least, Portland is supposed to be one of the most dog-friendly cities in the country, so you would think you would well. have a natural constituency here. For that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I just want to say that stay tuned to Voices for the Animals. We're going to just take this, well, actually, we're not going to take a break. I want to continue talking to Matt Rosell here. He's got so much to say. So, Matt, thanks so again for joining us. You know, you mentioned the thing about dogs, and I, I keep remembering what uh, Dr. Greek said that you could kill a thousand dogs and it wouldn't cure anything wouldn't save your child's life so why do you think this idea of research at all and, and uh, in your case especially on these poor little innocent beagles is going to do anything to save anyone's life
1: yeah well I, I think that the, the there's no doubt the scientific argument against animal research is as old as animal research and this is you know throwing ethics and, and morals aside for a moment and just looking at does this actually work and the problem with using any species, dogs, cats, monkeys, mice, as a model for human disease uh, boils down to the fact that no matter what uh, drug you're testing, what product you're testing, or or whatever, it's going to react differently in every single species. And over time, we have a history of drugs that um, have failed to predict in the animals' the similar uh, outcomes to how they um, happen when you finally do get to the human clinical trials. And so we've seen drugs that um, looked safe in animals that went on to harm and kill people in clinical trials and had to be pulled. And w- the opposite of that are medical breakthroughs have been delayed by misleading animal research that did not look promising in the animal Um, But then later were tried again in people and and went on to help people. So, you know, this, according to the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, there's made a statement that, quote, nine out of ten experimental drugs fail in clinical studies because we cannot accurately predict how they will behave
0: in people based on laboratory and animal studies. Wow, that's a huge figure, nine out of ten. Yeah, and, and so... Um, what, this,
1: what the researchers will argue is it's unethical. We have to do uh, the tests in a living animal before we go on to test it in human beings. Well, the, the scientific argument against that statement is that, as Dr. Greek, as you quoted Dr. Greek saying, it doesn't matter how many animals you kill, um, you still do not find out how that drug or that product or that ingredient is going to react in people. And the further medicine advances, the further away we are getting from animal research being a valid form of research. I mean, right now we are looking at, I mean, we, we already have many alternatives um, that are already in use. And, and as Dr. Greek argues, you know, just the, using the term alternative is a misnomer because saying alternatives to animal research is implying that animal research is working in the first place, and we need to find something uh, different to replace it. Yeah. And, but, you know, we already have um, in vitro studies, which are test tube studies performed with microorganisms and cells and biological molecules that are isolated outside the body. This is uh, something we've long done. And then from there, we have advanced to computer modeling, which takes all the data that's been collected from those studies and experiments, and applies sophisticated computer algorithms to predict outcomes in the human patient. And you know, we've we've also introduced robotic technology. Um, the EPA has this robot called Tox21 that can conduct a thousand um, experiments at a time, saving as many animals and as much as a million dollars in testing. Wow! And so. You know, we have we now have a thing called organ on a chip, which is a microchip that simulates the functions and physiological responses of organs and organ systems, and epidemiological studies, which analyzes, you know, just vast amounts of data from human patients over time and and makes predictions about um, outcomes in with you know with drugs and. Microdosing, which is using really small, safe doses of drugs in, human, in humans to predict outcomes. So we already have all these different tools in our toolbox that are working and um, can be argued that are better and faster and cheaper than using animals as models. And then there's this whole realm of basic research, which is a lot of what I saw at the Oregon Primate Center, which is funded almost primarily through our tax dollars and this basic research is not really the product and drug testing that you think of of um, what we just described, like you know, first testing on animals and then moving on to human studies to specifically try to study a disease in humans or to study a drug and how it will help um, cure something in humans. Basic research is just this sort of gee whiz kind of science that's just asking questions and um, publishing data that they hope someday will get used somewhere to help uh, someone. And now we've, for decades, have been doing all these experiments on animals and have all this published data. And I think it's time we take a good hard look at how we're spending these tax dollars and is it really helping people? I mean, some of the research that I saw at the Oregon Primate Center defies common sense. I, I saw them trying to use um, you know, monkeys as a behavior model, they were they were going to start up a study to use monkeys as a model for human divorce. They were <laughs> what? they were doing yeah for and, divorce. Yeah, and and of course, monkeys don't have
0: they don't the divorce, same. do they? No, they don't. I mean, they,
1: they're matri- monkeys. are live in matrilinear troops where the the males leave anyway. You know, the the females all stay together in large troops for life, and the males leave to go. Uh, join another troop so uh, they have a completely different makeup and culture and there it's ridiculous to think that you could try to study human divorce in monkeys but right. th- these are the kind of things they're doing and and maternal deprivation studies are still happening yeah unbelievable all,
0: yeah
1: all that we know and and um, a lot of times these researchers are modeling their basic research not, Uh, to precede human studies, but to try to follow or go in parallel or mimic human studies that already exist. And I think this is a lot of these things people just don't realize. I mean, injecting monkeys with nicotine and and cocaine and, and, you know, various drugs are not going to give us results um, that are going to be beneficial to people. And we have plenty of humans already addicted to drugs that we can study that can volunteer for humane studies.
0: Right. And also I note there was a hearing where a psychologist talked about how they use drugs to measure the effects of bipolar drugs on on these primates. And, like, they don't get bipolar either, I don't believe.
1: Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of times I saw this really cruel study at the Oregon Primate Center where they were studying multiple sclerosis. And, of course, the, the primates d- don't naturally get that disease, but they were a- injecting um a cocaine derivative into the feet of these monkeys to cripple them in a way that was unlike a naturally occurring disease
0: to try to to, to study simulate it. Yeah, yeah. and, and
1: um, you know th- this is happening over and over again, and I I think that if taxpayers really knew what was happening with their money in these research labs um, that that they're funding, they would be outraged.
0: I I agree with you. I I think you know part of it. it from what i understand is that there's these things are set up it's like almost like a self uh replicating institutional practice where they just have these labs and they have them set up and they just have to go after the grant money to keep the lab going regardless of the efficiency or effectiveness of it
1: yeah it's very true the the primary investigators are in this um Environment of publish or perish, and Mm -hmm. they're focusing on the next grant and keeping it all going. And often these researchers will study some little nuance of science and spend their entire career. Every time the at the the end of a study, you know, you if you read over these um, reports that they that they write and publish, it always says we found out this interesting thing, but there's always need for more, and they always go on to study the next little thing. And I think that. What we need to do is look and and analyze this whole body of research over decades and really take a good hard look at, is this really what our tax dollars are best spent on, or should we be investing that money in better, humane, more cutting-edge research that doesn't involve animals?
0: Exactly. And I know that OHSU, for instance, will periodically say, well, we've got we're on the edge or we've got a cure for cancer or AIDS or something. And I'm like, what is the cure? I, I never really know what the cure is. Has there ever really been a cure from animal research?
1: Well, there's been some really critical um, pieces written in, you know, over the years about, you know, say, for example, cancer research in mice. And they've kind, kind of come to the conclusion that, you know, on all these years and millions of dollars spent, Um, infecting or, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, trying to cure mice of cancer. We sure know a lot about curing cancer in mice, but it hasn't really led to any useful data uh, to cure cancer in people.
0: Right. And whatever there is, is really, from what I understand, more based on diet than drugs anyway. But um, go ahead. What what were you going to say, Matt? Well, I was just going to say preventative medicine. Preventative,
1: right. Disease. Yeah. I mean, the pharmaceutical companies don't make money on us being well. They make money on us being sick. And yeah. that's something, you know, that we all need to step back and look at what choices can we make to our diet and our lifestyle to just prevent um, disease.
0: Yeah. And it could be also, I'm just thinking right now, something in the human DNA that's always looking for a magic cure, you know. Yeah. And so somewhere over the rainbow, they're going to find that. But Anyway, um, how, you know, you mentioned that this new law is probably one of the most exciting things you're working on right now. Is there something else that people should know about from the Beagle Freedom Project? Well, one of the things
1: people can easily do to be a compassionate consumer is to download the Cruel- Cruelty Cutter app. We have an app. You can go to your, um, on your smartphone and go to your app store and download for free. This cruelty cutter app that allows you to scan any barcode of any product and immediately find out whether it's cruelty free or has been tested on animals. And there's a component of it that is a reporting back part that um, you can let us know that you're boycotting the company and we can collect that data so we can use it to go to these companies and say, look, you're losing customers here. Um, Why don't you consider uh, not testing on animals? And um, so that's, you know, that's one simple thing people mm-hmm. can do. Um, we're also, we're, we're in classrooms. We have a, a Skype program where we have an educational outreach that's age-appropriate, and we're in classrooms all around the world. Um, and one of my colleagues here has a, a rescued beagle named Belle, and they talk about animal testing in an age-appropriate way, and then, Give the kids opportunities to empower themselves to help animals, um, and we, um, of course, are always rescuing animals, which is really the exciting part of this. Because the, you know, the, our bigger, our bigger picture goal of ending animal research is is going to take a while, mm-hmm. but um, yeah. we're constantly rescuing animals and being able to tell those stories of, you know putting dogs and cats and other animals in in permanent loving homes. And that's really kind of what helps keep all of us going. And anyone can go on our website and check us out. We're at bfp.org and you can um, easily sign up to be receiving our emails. And we're always sending out ways that people can
0: help with our work and volunteer with us. Great. Well, we're going to put a link to your website on our uh, Voices for the Animals page on KBOO. And any other information that you want us to know about, you can send to me, and I'll also link to that. So, you know, Matt, thanks so much for joining us today. We're going to have to end right now. But um, thanks for joining us and enlightening our audience about the work of the Beagle Freedom Project. Thanks Uh, so much for having me. Oh, you're so welcome. I'll see you soon. Okay, uh, yeah, I also want to mention quickly that Matt will be a featured speaker at the International Free the Elephants Conference in April, right here in Portland. He will be speaking about his experiences working at Indefensive Animals and Animal Defenders International, where he worked for elephant causes, among others. We will be bringing you more news about that conference on our next Voices for the Animals in March. Meantime, thanks to all of you for tuning in to Voices for the Animals. You can listen to the podcast of this and all of our programs on KBOO-FM. Thanks again to Matt and the very interesting information about the Beagle Freedom Project. The
1: preceding program was produced at KBOO Community Radio in Portland, Oregon. More audio can be found online at kboo.fm. This
0: is Ramona Africa, and you're listening to KBOO, KBOO 90.7 on your dial. KBOO is the exact example of the community taking charge of itself. On the move. Welcome, listeners, once again to Film at 11.
1: On today's very special episode, we're going to discuss one of the greatest movies of all time. Joining me are Matthew of KBOO's Gremlin Time and Professor Lisa Neville, who teaches film at New York State University in Cortland. We will be talking about Jean Renoir's The Rules